All right, well, good morning, Docs Church. Guys, I want to uh, invite you to grab your Bibles, um, find your way to the Old Testament book of Jonah chapter 4, okay? And if, uh, if you're new, I want to welcome you again um, to Doxa. My name is Rob, one of the pastors. Um, it's great to have you part of the, the Doxa family today. Um, you're joining us in the tail end of a study through this great Old Testament book called Jonah. And so here's what we, what we got uh, moving forward. Today we're going to be looking at the last chapter of, of Jonah, um, and then we got two more weeks after this, and you might be like, well, last chapter, what are you guys going to do? There's a, something really significant about Jonah, all right? So we're going to fast forward to the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, because Jesus actually talks about Jonah, and he talks about the sign of Jonah, and we're going to do some work and figure out, well, what is Jesus actually talking about? What does that mean? And then the week after that, we're going to be looking at this idea that Jonah, uh, God broke into Jonah's life and said, hey, go. And he, he went in a, in a really reluctant, bad way. And so we're going to ask the question, man, what would it look like for us to go better than Jonah? So that's where we're going. But guys, as we get into chapter four, all right, let me catch you up to speed, okay? Chapter one, God speaks to Jonah. Chapter two, Jonah then speaks to God. Chapter three, God speaks through Jonah to a group of people called the Ninevites. And then as we get into chapter four today, God and Jonah are going to have like a, a conversation um, with one another. All right. So in chapter one, if you've been around, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, all right, this, this prophet of God, and God tells him, hey, I want you to get out of Israel. I want you to leave Israel. I want you to go to the nation of Assyria, to the city of Nineveh. And so Nineveh, we've been looking at this over the last couple weeks, but it's the modern day city of of Muslim Iraq. And and God says, hey, I I want you to go to these people and not just vacation there, but I want you to cry out against them of their wickedness. And historically, we we know that the, the Ninevites, this was actually true of them. They were just a wicked, brutal people. I mean, murder, conquest, torture, slavery, it was all part of the DNA of this ancient people of the Ninevites. And so God comes to Jonah and he says, I want you to go to them. And I want you to call out to them and call them to repentance. And so Jonah, he hears this from God, but we've been talking about this. He ultimately doesn't like it because he ultimately doesn't like the Ninevites, that the Ninevites, historically speaking, were, were enemies of God's people. And as you look at the history of the world, we know that the, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, had tried to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth at least three different times. So they were just a brutal people, treated the Israelites, the Jewish people, really, really poorly. And so Jonah says, no, I'm not going. I hate these people. And so he boards a ship and he tries to sail away into the sunset to get as far away from God as he possibly could. And so Jonah is running from God. But what I love about the book of Jonah is we see that God is constantly pursuing Jonah. And this is actually our stories, that we're constantly running away from God, sinning against God, disobeying God, but God being a loving father just keeps pursuing us, pursuing us over and over and over again. But Jonah gets on this ship trying to outrun God. God sends this storm to pursue Jonah Jonah kind of realizes what's going on. He just decides, I'm going to jump overboard. I'd rather die than follow this call to go to Nineveh. But God loves Jonah. And so at the end of chapter 1, we see that Jonah's there floating in the water. God continues to pursue him, and he sends this big fish. Right? Not the point of the story, but an interesting part of, of God's story of pursuing Jonah. But he's swallowed by this big fish. He's in its belly for three days and three nights. And there, it's when God or Jonah kind of just comes to God and has this experience with God where he repents. 
He cries out to God, and upon this repentance, God kind of hears Jonah. He speaks to this fish. The fish vomits him up on the beach. And in chapter 3, God comes to Jonah, kind of just like a, a father to a disobedient kid, and was like, hey, bud, you ready to listen? You ready to, you ready to go to Nineveh now? You know, and Jonah's like, all right, I'll, I'll go. And so he goes, he preaches to the Ninevites, and by the power of God, through the word of God, every man, woman, and child in that city turns to God. And we looked at this last week, but this was perhaps like the largest, biggest revival in the history of the world. And again, we talked about it last week. If you missed it, you can go back and look. But this was amazing, right? Jonah shows up kind of as a reluctant prophet. He preaches this five-word sermon to the Ninevites, and all of a sudden, the entire city comes to know the Lord. I mean, this is a preacher's dream, right? If this happened, I would drop the mic and leave and just retire, right? And just, but this is amazing. And as I was considering this, okay, throughout this week, you know, one of the questions that I found myself asking is this, why chapter four? If you've been reading along, you've read this, but, but why chapter four, right? Because isn't like the end of chapter three, like the logical conclusion to this entire wild story? Jonah argues with God. God pursues Jonah. He finally does what he's asked to do. An entire city is saved. And then Jonah and the Ninevites, they live together happily ever after. Right? This is the way that it logically should end, right? But look how chapter 4 starts. After this great revival in Nineveh, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. Strange, right? I mean, you got to admit, this is, this is strange. A bunch of people come to know the Lord, and Jonah is just angry. And we're going to see this through this chapter, but guys, this is the equivalent to, and you parents, you've, you've likely all experienced this, and even if you're not a parent, like you've, you've witnessed this, but here's, take a look at this picture, okay? <laughs> guys, this is Jonah chapter 4. Okay, this is what Jonah chapter four is all about. Parents, have you been there? All right, this is my little man Titus years ago in Walmart in Ames, Iowa, having a complete nuclear meltdown, okay? Like he didn't get some slime that he wanted or whatever it was, right? And he just threw himself on the ground, started kicking. If he was able to, he probably would have killed me, right? But he's just like, he's freaking out. He didn't get his way and he's just angry, and I'm standing over top of him. Like, I don't know how I had just had, a, the Holy Spirit gave me patience in that moment because I'm usually not that patient, but I'm just looking at this little kid. I'm like, buddy, come on, right? And I'm just trying to talk to him. I'm trying to love him and ultimately trying to help him as he's just freaking out. This is what God is doing with Jonah. Jonah gets angry and he just pouts. And so again, why chapter four? Listen to this. Jonah chapter 4 shows us that this story is in fact real. Okay? That if it would have ended with Jonah chapter 3, that's too good to be true. At least in this world, right? I mean, this isn't how our stories go. None of us, right? We, we, don't, we don't come to God and, and repent and just change forever and never deal with sin anymore, right? You guys do? Okay, well, no. That's not our story, right? We struggle, we struggle again, we fall again, we sin again, we disobey again and again and again, but God, but God, he is so good, he is so patient, he comes to us again and again and again. 
Jonah chapter 4 shows us this story is real, and Jonah is just like all of us. Probably more accurately, we're like Jonah. And even more, I want you to hear the end of this, okay? Jonah 4 shows us that God wasn't just after Jonah for his service. I need you to understand this. God wasn't just after Jonah for his usefulness to Nineveh. God was going after Jonah not just because he needed Jonah to go and do something for him with the Ninevites, because otherwise, at the end of chapter 3, God would have just been done with Jonah and the story would have ended. But what we see in chapter 4 is that when Jonah is finished with God's mission, God is just getting started on Jonah. And what we'll see today is that God, and please, someone in here needs to hear this, God is not just pursuing you because he wants something from you. But he's pursuing you because he wants you. He loves you. He absolutely loves you. Some of, someone in here needs to be reminded of the love of God for you today. He loves you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this chapter, all right, and then we're going to hone in on the one key thing that God is doing in Jonah, which is actually one key thing that I believe God wants to do in every single one of us. So verse 1 again, check it out. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is, this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Okay, so God saves an entire city and Jonah gets mad. And then we see that he prays this prayer of a toddler melting down in Walmart. Right? He's, he's talking to God and Jonah just says, God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew it. This is why I got on that ship in Joppa and started trying to get to Tarshish. I knew you were going to do this. I knew that if I listened to you and I went to those terrible people, that they would, they would turn to you and you would save them. I knew you would do that. I knew that you would forgive them. And so Jonah's just mad. He's angry with God for showing mercy. Now I want you to look at Jonah's response in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And so Jonah's hatred, all right, his disdain for the Ninevites is just so intense, it's palpable, that he, he hates these people, and he sees God's mercy going to them, and he just says, you know what, God, here's the deal. If you're not going to kill them, will you just kill me? Because I can't deal with this. His hate was out of control, and he basically gets suicidal because God shows mercy on these people. Now, if you've been around for this study through Jonah, one of the things that should be popping out to you and, and hitting you right now is that Jonah has some issues. You with me? Right? This man has problems, like deep-seated problems. And what we're seeing here is that his big problem is all about his heart. It's all about his heart. Look back at verse 2. Jonah says, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Doc says, is that true? Like, is that true of God? Come on, guys. I'm going to trade you in for some Pentecostals, right? Is it true? Of, yeah, amen, right? But this is absolutely true about God. And so hear me on this. Jonah, he had good theology but a bad heart. He knows the right things about God. I mean, he's quoting Moses in Exodus here. 
And some of you, you've been wrongly told that you just need to have a good theology and everything's going to be okay. But I need you to understand that you can have a good theology and a bad heart and everything's not okay. Because God knows our hearts. Jonah, guys, he didn't have a theology problem. He had a heart problem. He knew all the right things about God, but the problem was that he didn't delight in those things about God. He didn't love those things about God. Otherwise, he would have pursued those things of God and he would have obeyed God himself. Isn't this true about us? I mean, guys, why do we sin? Why do we disobey? Christian, I'm going to speak to you. I really want you to think about this. You know, when we sin, is it because that we think it's the right thing to do? Is it because we have like a theology problem? No. You know God hates it. You know he's commanded you not to do it, but you do it anyways. Why? Guys, it's not because we have a theology problem, but it's because we have a heart problem. We know the right things about God. We know his heart on the matter. We know that he's commanded us not to do it, but we do it anyways. Because while we know the right things about God, we don't always love the right things about God. And so it's not enough for our minds to just align with the right things about God, the right theology. All right, the, the, the Bible tells us in the book of James, do you guys remember this? That even demons believe even demons have like the right theology of God and they shudder. They believe and they shudder. So they have the right, a good theology, but they hate it. They hate him and they, they run, they shudder, they, they hide, they flee. And so it's not enough for us to just have in our minds like an alignment of good theology. Our hearts need to align with the heart of God. And here Jonah is just angry. He's angry with God. He's filled with hate towards the Ninevites. And it's all because his heart is just bad. He's angry. And and I'll tell you this, guys. You need to pay attention to your anger. Because here's the truth. Your anger oftentimes reveals your heart. And so the issue is not about getting angry because the Bible says, like, when you're in anger, don't sin. And so you and I will become angry. But when we become angry, we need to stop and we just need to ask ourselves, am I angry about something that God is angry about? It reveals something about our heart. And here with Jonah 4, God is glad that people have turned to him. But Jonah is angry that people have turned to him. And so Jonah is angry about something that God is glad about. And what Jonah is struggling with in his heart is like a misalignment, that his heart is not aligning with God's heart, that his heart is bad and he's just full of hate. And guys, part of the issue that Jonah is having right here, we would use the language now in our culture and time of racism. Jonah's like, hey God, I love it that you love me and you love us, but not so much when you love them. God, I I love when when you're merciful to us and you forgive us, but not them. I don't want you to do that for them, but I love when you're so patient and so merciful and so gracious to me and to us, but not so much them. That Jonah is coming to God, and he doesn't want God to be consistent with all people, but he wants God to play favorites with some people. And so, guys, 
With racism being an issue here with Jonah and really just a big topic in our world today and honestly a topic that's totally antithetical to who Jesus is and his gospel, I want to talk about this for just a second. How do we get to a place of racism? And guys, the truth is, I mean, there's a lot of different ways. I'll I'll share just a couple. First, guys, people get to a place of racism when their hurt becomes hate. And so someone, maybe you, a person, a people group hurts you, and rather than forgiving that person, like Jesus, you begin to hate them. This is Jonah. The Assyrians were brutal warriors, and they were brutal to Jonah's people. They were brutal to the Jewish people. They sought to destroy him on multiple different times. They treated him very, very poorly, and it seems likely that Jonah's hurt turned to hate. He was hurt by the Assyrians, by something that they did to his people and his family maybe, and then rather than dealing with it and forgiving, it turned to hate, and he absolutely hated them. Secondarily, as sometimes racism comes because our preferences become our prejudices. And so it's kind of like this. Like this is how we do things. That's how they do things. This is how I like to do it and this is what's best, but this is how they do it. And it's, and it's not usually sin. It's like stylistic and cultural. But we say, like, this is what I do, and this is what I think is right and better. They don't do that, and so our preference becomes a prejudice. But guys, the story of the Bible is that people shouldn't be like you, and you shouldn't be like them, but we should all be like Jesus. Amen? And when you look at the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful picture, and we see Jesus. He's sitting on his throne in the at the center of all of human history and at the center of eternity and every culture and every race and every tribe and every tongue and every people group is surrounding the throne and they're worshiping Jesus and he is the one that creates unity. This was why when we think about and talk about and see racism prevalent in our society, we can can do all types of structural policies and all this stuff and the ultimate only hope is the gospel. It's Jesus being at the center where everybody is looking to him and worshiping him and ultimately becoming more like him because when we become like him, we're gonna love each other more and that's gonna be not even a thing that we have to deal with. But sometimes our preferences become our prejudices. But when we become more like Jesus, guys, we're looking to him, we can maintain our cultural distinctions, but our preferences don't become our prejudices. Jonah struggled with this. And then finally, let me say this about how racism comes about. All right, it was, the, it was the great theologian Jonathan Edwards that once said that if you idolize, you'll ultimately demonize. And here's what he means. If you idolize your race, you're gonna demonize another race. If you idolize your nation, you will demonize another nation. And guys, this happens everywhere in our culture today. It happens racially with black and white. It happens politically with left and right. It happens with men and women, young and old, rich and poor. This is the reason why we have generational conflict that just keeps going on and on and on. This is very much the issue that's going on here with Jonah. He has an issue of racism that is causing him to just hate the Ninevites, to be angry with God, and he just wants to die. Look at verse 4. 
And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Okay, so Jonah is Titus on the floor at Walmart here. And God as a loving father comes to him as a counselor. Isaiah reveals God as a wonderful counselor. This is God the Father showing up as a wonderful counselor. And as a good counselor comes, he asks some questions. And he just says, Jonah, is this good? What does Jonah do? He just gets up. He walks away from God without even acknowledging his words to him. He's just sulking. Verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should, till he should see what would become of the city. Okay, so Jonah's this sulking prophet. He's seeing what's going on in the city. He's like, I'm out of here. I don't like this. He leaves the city, gets a little bit further away, goes up on a hill. He kind of builds himself a tent to give him shade from like the desert sun. And he just sits there for the next 39 days watching the city. Why? Well, I mean, why does he do this? Think back. The answer is actually back in chapter 3 with his five-word sermon. You remember? God told him, 40 days. 40 days. If the Ninevites don't repent, I'm going to destroy the city. And Jonah, he gets in there on that first day. He preaches. Everybody starts repenting, right? They call a national day of repentance. And he's just like, well, crap. Dang it. All right. They're doing this repentance thing. I'm going to go, I, I know these people. I know what they're like. They're terrible. They're the actual worst. I'm going to go out here, and I'm just going to wait for 39 days because I know they're so bad. They're such a disgusting people. They're going to turn their back on God again, and I'm just going to have the best 4th of July fireworks show as God just rains fire from heaven down. That's what he's doing. He's just waiting for them to be blown up by God. This is his heart as he sits there. But yet again, God pursues Jonah, verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah, he was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Okay, so just picture this. Okay, Jonah's out there. He's just sweating. He's kind of miserable in the desert sun, just so angry. And God... As a good father, he sees Jonah and he's like, boy, you got so many problems. Like you, you just, you got issues. But you know what? I love you. And so here's a plant. I'm going to give you a plant and it's going to give you some shade. And so you'll be comfortable. And if you look back, okay, it says that Jonah was exceedingly glad. Okay, this is the only time that Jonah's ever happy. Okay? So he's just like sitting there and he's like, God, you're really bad at your job. I know you're God, and like, but you're really bad at doing the whole God thing. Like, you've destroyed my life. You've made me miserable. I mean, for crying out loud, I got swallowed by a fish. You're making me go talk to these people I hate. Like, you've ruined everything. But God, this plant, it's good. It's really, God, you did good. Good job, God. I, I, I'm so happy. Now I can sit here in the shade, really comfortable, and pray for you to kill all these people. Right? <laughs> I mean, this is literally what Jonah is doing. Look at verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. 
When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, so Jonah is just next level mad right now. Okay? And he says, God, hey, here's the deal. You had compassion on the Ninevites. You stole my plant and my shade. For real, will you just kill me? Just kill me. And once again, God shows up in verse 9. And honestly, if I were God, I'd have been like, Jonah, you're right, dude, deal, bet. You're done, dead, right? But that's not God. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Here comes Titus again. Yeah, I do well. Yeah, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And angry here is more accurately, literally translated as inflamed. Like Jonah is overwhelmed. He's just covered. He's just like so intensely mad. Verse 10. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Here's what God does. Once again, as a, as a good father, he tries to help Jonah with his heart problem. And this time, he's not coming so much as like a, a wonderful counselor, but he's coming as a loving teacher. And he says, Jonah, and you're really concerned about this plant. You're really concerned about a plant. I'm really concerned about a people. Jonah, you so badly want that plant to be saved from that worm. I so badly want those people to be saved from their sin. And God says, you pity this little plant that you didn't make. He's like, you didn't create it. You didn't water it. You didn't make it grow. You had nothing to do with this. But you have pity on it. And God is saying, but me, those 120,000 people that I made, that bear my image, that I love, should I not have pity and mercy on them? And God says to Jonah, they don't know how bad of a situation that they're in. They don't know about their sins and what will do, what that will bring about in their life. They need me. And that's why I sent you. And while they actually do need me, you need me too because your heart is terrible. You have a bad heart. And then the story ends. If you look, it ends right there. Without knowing how Jonah responds. And while it feels like we're missing a page, guys, I believe that this is intentional. That it's intentional to force us to contemplate our own personal story. That Jonah remains unfinished in order that we may provide our own conclusion because you are Jonah. And I am Jonah. See, this, this text invites us to write the last paragraph with our own life. That God calls us to apply this story to our own lives in our own time and place. And so to figure out how to apply this story to our own lives, I want to share with you why I think the story of Jonah is in the Bible. Two things I'll tell you. The story is here to show us that God loves all people. You know that? God loves all people. And the scriptures are clear that God has a desire for all to come to repentance. But this is what Jonah forgot. And oftentimes, so do we. 
We really like the idea of God being merciful and gracious to us, but we forget that it's actually for all people. People that are look different than me, people that act different than me, people that believe different than me. The gospel's good news for all people because God loves all people. That's number one. Number two, I think the, the story of Jonah is in the Bible to show us that God's people should never desire God's wrath on other people. That children of God, Christians, should not long for anyone to experience the wrath of God. But why? Why should this be our heart? Listen, Doxa. It's because you and I were once people that deserved the wrath of God, but God didn't pour it out on us. That he gave us mercy instead. And he did this through the cross of Jesus Christ. And this should be the longing of our heart for our enemies, that they receive the grace that we have been given. And so let me just ask you this. I'll bring it from the, up in the air to down on the ground, right into your life. Let me just ask you, who are your Ninevites? Like, do you have any personal Ninevites? A person, a group of people that, that make you feel a bit like Jonah. Just think about it. Like, if you were watching the news or you were on social media, which you shouldn't be because it's from the devil, but anyway, right? But <laughs> if you were on social media, don't do it. But that's a different sermon. Okay. You're watching it, okay? And you just see someone on social media come up that maybe you consider like an enemy. Maybe you wouldn't call them an enemy, but they're just people that you really just don't like them, right? You don't like their views. You don't like all their comments. You don't like their lifestyle. You don't like anything about them. What is the predominant disposition of your heart towards them when you see them? Like when you encounter something that they said or something that they did, is your attitude and your dis disposition of your mind and your heart like Jonah's? Is the predominant thing going on in you? And maybe you wouldn't talk about this openly, but, but you feel inside like you really want that person to be punished. You really want that group to be taken down. Is that what you feel? Or is the attitude of your heart that, man, I can't stand that person, but I really, oh man, I would really love the grace of God the mercy of God to just fall on them in such a way that they would turn from their sin and they would be changed and blessed by God. How, do you, how, how are you thinking? I mean, we'll just do a little case study, okay? I'm gonna give you some examples. And, and this is not me, I'm, I'm, I'm in this with you, okay? What about this? You guys remember, uh, so sometimes I get into these documentaries on Netflix. Um, do you guys remember the Jeffrey Epstein trial? Remember that? A man who just like abused and trafficked so many young women. Like how did you feel when the news came out that he killed himself? Like obviously there's some like justifiable relief. Like justice happened Right? For abusing and trafficking like hundreds of young girls. But what was the attitude of your heart when you heard that he was dead? Were you like, were you joyful? Were you like, geez, that's great. At least he got what he deserved. Great. Another one gone. 
Or was the attitude of your heart that you men, I wish he would have had the chance to be changed by the grace and the mercy of God. What about when you like see like white supremacists on the news, like marching and rallying in cities, saying all their hate stuff and doing a bunch of crazy stuff? What's the disposition of your heart towards those people? Like, do you hate them? Do you want them to be punished? Like, if God was just to show up and be like, we're going to do some Sodom and Gomorrah stuff right here, you'd be like, do it. I'll get my nachos, I'll sit on the couch, it'll be amazing, right? Is that you? Like a little bit of Jonah? Or is the first and primary thing, when you encounter somebody that is just so lost and so overwhelmed with hatred, do you say, God, would you just break in? Would your mercy and grace like change that person? I mean, what about you drive down Park Street? What about the president of Planned Parenthood who leads the charge in abortion and the killing of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of babies? What about the abuser? What about the child molester? What about the rapist? Now guys, I, I want to be, be careful. Here is what I am not saying. I am not saying that we don't fight against injustice. Okay? You need to hear me on that. That'll save you an email. You can put down your phone because you're emailing me right now. Okay? I'm not saying that. I am not saying that we don't fight against injustice. I'm a big proponent of justice. I'm not saying that we don't take on and fight against the evil that is in this world, the pursuit of like appropriate justice when people are wronged and oppressed and abused and victimized is absolutely biblical. And we pursue justice to the full extent of the law. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is our hearts towards those people. What is the predominant heartbeat that you have as a child of God to those kinds of people that we just talked about? Do you want to see the grace of God change them? Or deep down inside of you, do you want to see them punished? Because guys, here's where it becomes real. Right? We look at the story of Jonah. He's so mad that God saved some people. And, and we shake our heads and we're like, dude, what is wrong with you? Why are you so like that? And we don't understand it. We're like, you're pathetic, dude. You got some issues. Until we encounter our own Ninevites. And so we encounter our own personal Ninevites, a group of people, a person that has hurt us so badly, who has wounded us so deeply that the concept and the idea of God's grace and blessing coming to that person, we don't even want to think about it. And guys, I, I see this happening in our world. It happens in the church. It happens in my life, right, where we're just so fed up with the evil in this world that the, the pendulum has just swung so violently to the one side of justice that we say we just need justice and we start to dislike and disdain everybody. And there's hatred filling so many different people, so many different places. It's the posture and the spirit of Jonah that we so badly want justice to be done that we've lost the heart of the true and better Jonah whose name is Jesus. And Jesus, he spoke this little saying like 2,000 years ago that is just so hard. Do you remember this? You remember what he said? Love your enemies. 
And guys, I'll tell you that this is actually really, really hard. But one of the things that I don't have the right to do is to kind of come to the Sermon on the Mount and just kind of be like, that's hard, I don't like that, and just rip it out of my Bible. Because when we say, hey, I hear you, but when it comes to that stuff, no. We're rejecting what fundamentally makes us Christians because we're rejecting Jesus. Do you have a good theology but a bad heart? Like who is it in your life that it seems like so hard or maybe impossible for you to like pray for right now that the blessing of God would come on them, the mercy of God would come on them? Who's that person, that group of people? You got that personal Ninevite in your head? As you think about him, I'm gonna read some of the words of Jesus. Not my words, okay? So don't get mad at me. You can get mad at Jesus and email him. But as you hear these words, I want you to evaluate whether or not you're applying Jesus' words to your personal Ninevite or if you're even willing to apply this. Matthew chapter five, verse 21. It's gonna come up on your screen so you don't have to turn. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said of, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to hell, to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar. First go be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus says some tough stuff. Matthew 5, 38, look at this. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Matthew five forty three. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But, Jesus says, I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And listen to this. So that you may be sons of the Father, of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying this is one of the marks of a child of God. For it makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same. Jesus says that one of the ways that you can know that you are a child of God is not by the way that you treat people that you love, but by the way that you treat people that you hate and you don't love. People that you can't stand. And so, docs, are you engaging your Ninevites in a way that Jesus just laid out for us? And I need you to know we can't just blow this off, guys. To hear the words of Jesus and just say no is just to reject Jesus. Even if we have a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of hate, we cannot just say no to Jesus and just reject him. And I know this is hard, guys. I almost didn't share this today because I didn't, as I was thinking about it this week, I'm like, I don't even want to engage with this level of conviction as I sat in my office and prepped this sermon. I've been walking in the midst of it for a while, guys. I mean, honestly, over the last few years, 
I've been hurt in some ways by some people that has been deeper and more pronounced and more painful than any, any other time in my life. And I could share some stories with you and I don't think you'd believe them. You'd be like, that's crazy. I've had to walk through this and I'm still walking through this. But as I've thought about it, guys, I've had the spirit of Jonah towards some people who have hurt me and my family in really profound ways. The attitude of my heart was just like Jonah. Like, God, if you just want to take him, take him out. Just t- take him out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right? I've had that. But when we do that, we say no to Jesus. And guys, if you're here, I'm not pretending to know what you've walked through, but if you're here and you're saying, like, Rob, you don't get it. I can't do that. You don't understand how much hurt they've caused, what I've went through, the suffering. I, I want you to know, I might not know exactly, but I do know some. I've cried more in the last two years than I've cried in the last 20 years. I know some. And what's helped me to love my enemies, even when I don't want to do it, is to remember that Jesus didn't just preach about loving his enemies, but he actually lived it out. All right, you remember the story of Jesus in the garden being arrested? You remember this? Jesus is, uh, he's there praying all night. The soldiers all show up, and then Peter gets all wild with his sword, right? You remember that? And they show up, and then Peter chops off a dude's ear. You remember that? And Luke 22, look at this. <laughs> and one of them, okay, so Luke is like, just, there, was, there was somebody, it was, it was Peter, okay. Um, Peter struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus, he said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Okay, and if you grew up in the church, like, you're like, oh yeah, Jesus healed that guy's ear, that's cool. But guys, just think about how crazy this is. In this moment, Jesus knows exactly what's gonna happen. They're going to arrest him, they're going to drag him off, and all night long, they are going to beat him to death. They're going to rip his body apart, they're ultimately going to make him carry a cross where they can nail him to the tree and absolutely murder him. And Jesus looks at this guy with no hate in his heart, but just love, and he heals him. He heals him. And I don't know, this is a a hot take, I bet you guys we're going to get to heaven and we're going to see this guy. I, I, I can't prove it, just a hot take, but I think we're gonna, you're going to be up in heaven and you're going to be talking to somebody and he's like, dude, I'm the guy that got my ear cut off. <laughs> Peter did it, right? <laughs> and you're going to be like, dude, what happened? Like, how'd you get here? And he's just going to look at us and he's just going to be like, Jesus healed my ear. And I never got over that. Think about Jesus on the cross. Do you remember that? They're nailing him to the cross. They're mocking him. They're spitting on him. And then Jesus says, hey, Father, they're killing me right now, and this really hurts. But would you just forgive them? Like, they don't know what they're doing. Like, who does that? Jesus loved his enemies. And guys, there's one story, probably, and I'm almost done, okay, there's one story that stands out, I think, above and beyond these others, and it, it's probably the greatest picture that I can think of of how Jesus loved his enemies. There's this, there's this one guy, 
right? That one guy that just failed Jesus over and over and over again. This one guy would just turn his back on Jesus and deny Jesus over and over and over again. He ran from Jesus. He disobeyed Jesus over and over. And Jesus just kept coming back. And he loved him. And he pursued him over and over and over again. He kept forgiving him despite all this guy had done with him. Do you know the guy I'm talking about? you remember that story? It's me. And it's you. It's all of our stories. This is the greatness of the gospel. Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says this, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. So Paul's saying, like, no one wants to die for anybody, but if you have to, die for a good person. But God shows, verse 8, his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, Jesus didn't die for a bunch of good people. Jesus died for a bunch of bad people. Me and you. Guys, the greatest story of Jesus loving his enemies is Jesus loving you and me. And so let me end with this, guys. If you're struggling like Jonah, loving your Ninevites, loving your enemies, that because of your disgust and your hate for those people, you would rather see them destroyed and punished than the love and the mercy of God poured out on them, you need, it's critical for you to remember that you and I, we were once enemies of God because of our sin. And if you have not come to Jesus, you just need to know that God is a father, but he's not your father. Your sin makes you an enemy of God, and so I don't want you walking out of this place being like, I gotta love my enemies. No, you need to love Jesus so he can take your sin. That's the first step, so you can become a child of God. But we were enemies of God, but he didn't destroy us, but he came to save us and to give us his mercy. He didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us undeserved grace and mercy and love and like Jonah, chances are, since we're all in this room and we're not in heaven right now, chances are we all need a new heart like Jonah. We need a changed heart like Jonah. Some of us in really big ways, others of us in maybe smaller ways, but every single one of us in some way. And so here's the big idea. Guys, our hearts are changed through divine appointments. They're changed through divine appointments. Okay, four times in the book of Jonah it says that God appointed something to come about. God appointed the fish, then he appointed the plant, then he appointed the worm, then he appointed this strong wind and the sun. And here's what this all means, guys. It means that God pursues our hearts patiently. And it's a process over time. It's one appointment after another appointment after another appointment. And as we look at Jonah, we can say that he had at least four divine appointments with God. Doxa, our hearts are changed through divine appointments. That God appoints a fish and Jonah repents, and he sings praises to God, he gives thanks to God, and we see this, and Jonah's a changed man, right? And he repents. Did he really change? Did he really repent? And I think, guys, in a very real way, he actually changed, in a very real way, he actually did repent, but then we see that the sin in his life just comes roaring back, his racism, his hatred of people. He thought he'd been changed, he thought he was done with that sin, but only later it just comes roaring back into his life. Can you relate to this? I know I can. We need divine appointments. Times where we meet with God, experience God, receive from God so that we can have the joy of God and live for the glory of God.
this week, seek those divine appointments. And you don't have to conjure up anything. You know what you need to do? You need to grab your Bible and you just need to open it up and read his words to you. Let him just actually speak to you. Listen to him. This is a divine appointment. Maybe you need to open up your ears and open up your mouth and just talk to him. This is prayer. God meets with us. These are divine appointments where the mercy of God, the grace of God, the correction of God comes into our life and he changes our hearts. We're like Jonah. And we need what Jonah needed. We need God. We need these divine appointments. And so what's it going to be, Doxa? As you walk out of this room today, you're writing your own conclusion to the great book of Jonah. May God help us just be a people that was set out on these divine appointments. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your servant Jonah, who on the onset of this book, I really did have just like a really pathetic, bad view of him. And then I thank you for turning the book of Jonah into a mirror where I see it's actually me. And I thank you for your patience and your grace with me. And I thank you that you're a God who pursues. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just help us to be reminded of your grace in our lives, how you continually come back to us again and again and again and again. And would that stir some worship, some wonder, some awe and praise in all of us as we leave this place, that we would go and do what Jesus says, to love you, God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor, our enemy, as ourself. This is only a work that you can do. And so Holy Spirit, you say that you're a counselor, you're a helper, you're a healer, you're a strength. Would you do that for us? I pray today would be a day that there's people in here that are just like captive by hate and hurt. Would you set some people free? And those that are here and they don't know you, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just let them hear the words, I love you, would they feel your presence and your love and would you save their life? God, you're good. You're patient. Your love is steadfast. And we just say that we love you. In Jesus' name.